Welcome to Let's Talk About Treks, an episodic review of today's visions of the future featuring Earl Grey and Jack Dorino. This episode finds Jack and Earl mining the mines' minds of Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 3. Welcome, everybody. This is Let's Talk About Treks. I am Earl Grey. My name is Jack Dorino, and I'm, I'm here too. <laughs> and we are discussing today uh, Star Trek Lower Decks Season 3, Episode 3. This is the stunning return of uh, Susan Gibney as uh, Leia Bromps, every engineer's dream girl. Yes. 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 Yes, we are. Yes, we're here. <laughs> Today we'll be discussing mining the mines, mines. I'm sorry. Say it again three times. Mining the mines, mines. Mining the mines. You're, he's mines. actually going to do it, ladies and gentlemen. Huh? I, I forgot to leave out. I forgot to put in the fast part. You're supposed to say it three times. Anyway, let's just move on. It's called mining the mines, mines, mining the mines, mining the mines. Yes. Mine. It is episode number 23 in the whole series. Good. It is episode number 856 of 856 of all of Star Trek. All right. The director is Phil Mark Sagittarius. I'm going to go Sagatrica. Oh, okay. That's what I'm going to call it. Uh, the, the writer is Brian D. Bradley. Okay. Not D. Brian. Not D. Bradley Baker, right? Brian no, D. apparently not. Maybe that's his writing name. Yeah, maybe. His nom de plume, as yeah. it were. Who knows? Let's write him and ask. When we write him to find out if that's his nom de plume, should we use our nom de plumes or should we use our regular names? Let's use our nom de plumes. That sounds great. Great. The episode was released on Star Trek Day 2022. September 8th. Yes. Or the 8th of September. The day I'll always remember. <laughs> Why is that? That was the day that my Star Trek started. This was. It was also the day that uh, the Queen passed. Queen Elizabeth II. She did. She did indeed die on Star Trek Day. Yeah. She couldn't take it. She said, "Not one more year of Star Trek." Can't. <laughs> we are not amused in since you. This episode takes place on Stardate five eight. 256.2 We are still in 2382 Yeah. First thing I really appreciated I noticed that uh, The first opening scene There was a uh, Spielberg Steven Spielberg-esque shooting star Right there Awesome, that's great We open on a desolate world It's called Jingus 4 <laughs> uh, There's an old scientist who Who apparently has left out left uh, behind his uh, his young protege or girlfriend or wife mm -hmm. or uh, lab assistant or because that's what we do old white federation scientists we usually bring along a pretty young lab assistant I don't know where hers is but apparently he really needed one to keep him out of trouble because as he's he is accosted by a fantasy of his seventh grade geology teacher yes of all people so she pops out in sort of a haze and then becomes real and then she asks him hey do you want to do this episode of star trek deep space nine called if wishes were horses <laughs> and and she, he says yes and she's like cool in my version you guys did turn to stone and she turns him to stone 
Oh no! This is uh, this is all happens at uh, Outpost seventy six. Yes, and obvious siren is obvious. I mean, she's freaking growing, glowing green, Tony. He's sitting there narrating his fantasy as she appears out loud, as if somebody's there to talk to. So he gets turned to stone, and that's the whole teaser. Yeah. When we when we take a break and come back. Oh. Right after this commercial. Okay. Hi, my name is Isaac, and I'm from Australia, and if you're hearing me, that means you also like Star Trek, which makes you a friend in my book. So if you like Let's Talk About Treks, and would like to hear more podcasts, why not give us a try? Search for Unplanned Trek, where you can listen to a podcast about a random episode out of all Star Trek series where we look at things like the best and worst characters as well as we're giving out the Riker medal for any love interest that we see this week. So search on Twitter and your podcast provider. Unplanned Trek. And give our show a go. You may find that you recognise a voice or two as we have special guests coming up all the time. So... If you like a light-hearted podcast with a little twist of humour and a big focus on Star Trek, just give us a go, folks. All you have to do is search for... Unplanned Trek. Live long and prosper. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, you. I didn't go anywhere. I was here the whole time. Shh, don't tell. (laughs) How do we uh, start this episode? We already started it. But as we're coming back from the uh, from the opening credits, we have a bunch of ships at a planet, which is strange for Star Trek, I know. But there's two uh, California classes and one Excelsior, um, yes. that being the Hood, which has this long and sprawling history with uh, Star Trek, starting all the way back with the Constitution class that appeared in the Those Old Scientists era, and all the way forward to, I think the last time, well, the last time we saw a mention of it, I believe, was during Star Trek Nemesis, where mm-hmm. it... The, the name of it appeared on the screen in relation to Battlegroup Omega. Oh, okay. But it's also the starship where um, Commander Riker, well, yeah, Commander Riker, because he was the, Commander Riker was the first officer of the Hood under Captain DeSoto, where they served also hmm. with Geordi the Forge. Yeah, it certainly seems like a uh, legacy ship. It is. We're having a little uh, a, a baby a baby conference in I guess maybe a lower decks conference lounge because it's just Ransom and the not Billups guy who's, who's <laughs> he's yeah. like he's Billups but he's like not Billups because he but he loves Ransom and like Ransom's his his roll dog um, it's Stevens <laughs> Steve Stevens right but yeah. so Steve Stevens is in here sucking up to sucking up to Ransom Ransom's explaining the purpose of us being here which is that the hood assisted in this conflict that was between the scientists i don't is there like a coalition of scientists you think like how is there the whole thing was about ostensibly about brokering a peace treaty between the scientists and the scrubble are scientists banded together um in like some sort of union or is this actually like like a rebellion no, I'm saying like if they're brokering an agreement, uh-huh. you have to broker an agreement between two factions. So the scientists are together as a group. Oh, you thought they were independent? I thought they were just like, are they federation? I thought they were just federation. Like, that, I mean, that's cool. So it's a, so it's a, so it's actually something between the federation and the scrubble, not the scientists. I, I suppose so, but uh, 
definitely, certainly the scientists are the representative on that local planet. I posit that once you've done, once you've done the damage that you've done here, I think that you shouldn't be allowed to be the representatives anymore. Like, I don't think you should have a seat at the table mm. because you've already shown yourself to have nefarious purposes in representing the Federation. Huh. Don't they just want to do science there? Don't they? Clearly not. Clearly they want to steal Starfleet secrets. They do? I mean, yet yeah, this is towards the end of the episode, yes, but we've all watched the episode. No one's going to not watch this episode and listen to us first, I promise you. Oh, okay. So. Well, yeah, but it, at first it would appear as if they need their... Yeah, I'm not talking about that. Oh, okay. I'm talking about, like, the whole episode in totality. Like, at the end of the episode, the scientists were at the table. I wouldn't have let, as the Federation, I wouldn't let the scientists represent me anymore. Oh, yeah, They definitely. represented me yeah. one time. I mean... And look where it, where it got us so like how about we have someone else represent us certainly yeah i mean it and furthermore the, the agreement is like between the scientists and this okay so like is it like the federation guild of scientists <laughs> like i thought there were independents within the federation like there are federation citizens who happen to be scientists like they even describe it at one point like they can't wait to go into starfleet which is basically like joining up a group of people who are going out and exploring they're going on their own so who is the agreement between? I'm so confused. <laughs> like they have to have some, they have to have some sort of structure, and like organization if you're gonna broker a treaty between well, them. Otherwise, it's just a treaty between the Scrubble and the Federation. And then why would I have the scientists at the table? I would say, hey, Scrubble, <laughs> these weren't the people that you should have been dealing with to be our representatives. Let's switch them out to maybe Starfleet. Maybe they're scientists that represent the University of Calif Southern California, San Francisco. I don't understand. They could be representing a university instead of Starfleet. Universities do a lot of their own research too. Well, however you slice it, they're part of the Federation. They call them Federation scientists. Yes. Right? Yeah. So my question is, who is the agreement between the Scrubble and who? Oh. If it's between the Scrubble and the Federation, perhaps we should send a Federation ambassador. Yes. Not some scientists. But if it's between the Scrubble and the university. They didn't say that. They just said the scientists. Yeah, well, they, they don't like to choose sides in, in Star Trek. What? They, they they always like to keep everything very generic. They don't say what si the, where the scientists are from. Usually the scientists are independent. Like, Gun, uh, not Khan Noonien Singh. Uh, Noonien Sung was was independent ira graves was in an independent mm -hmm. i can't think of who else there was that was a scientist off by themselves well and i guess in a post-scarcity economy then you don't really need to get funding from anybody you just do the work that you want or need to do right so who do they answer to really and if another scientist comes along that oh none of the people involved in this know but who is also a federation citizen is he required to abide by the rules of the treaty that's drafted here if he has no connection to them except being Federation and if so why isn't it just a Federation treaty between the Federation and the Scrubble it's very confusing this episode for me I'm sorry <laughs> you're making me confused maybe it's a cartoon and I shouldn't go too deep the other uh, California class ship is a science blue California class it is yeah the Carlsbad is what that is yes it's the, yep did you think that J the planet Jenga sounded I even just said it. I was thinking it sounded like Genghis, like Genghis Khan. Oh, I thought it reminded me of the game Jenga. 
It may have reminded you of that, yes. But it reminded me of something different. Is that okay? That's fine. Oh, okay. Tell us about the thing. There's a point during the Lower Decks conference where Mariner gets very frustrated and she says, mission briefing or stand-up. And uh, he calls the orbs psychic minds, which kind of brings to question, I mean, if they're able to read your mind, why would everybody later on be able to see your own fantasy if these hallucinations are exclusive to you? That's a good point. If they're psychic, then they would be in your head, right? These are actually not psychic minds. <laughs> these are psychoholographic minds. Yeah. Potentially. Is what they are. They're psychoholographic minds with no safeties. Yeah. Wait, so, okay, so really nobody should have been able to see anyone else's fantasies. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. So as uh, Mariner leaves the meeting, she meets up with Rutherford and uh, Boimler, and they come across Tindy in the hallway. Yeah. She's doing her first day of senior science officer training, and she's super martocked up about it. In fact, she mentions at one point she's prepping so much. My brain's going to explode with science. Tindy's heading off to find out who her, her mentor for senior science is, and it turns out it's going to be Dr. Miglimo, the Birdman. Yes. The mentoring has fallen to him, and in turn, the offer of worms falls to her. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of a... Uh... Interesting how the Birdman is eating bird food. It seemed a little bit too on the nose. On the beak. On the beak. So down on the planet. Ensign, Ensign Kearns is the uh, the leader of the Carlsbad Lower Decks. Yes. She's, which which somehow is the Boimler. Is Boimler the leader of our little set, apparently? I, I don't even know. I don't know. I mean, Mariner always seems to take charge. So, you know, the uh, the the guy, Cordy, I think he's a security officer from the Carlsbad that works in their Lower Decks team. I think that he roughly maps to Mariner on our side. Okay. And that Ensign Kearns maps to Boimler on their side, which is why we have that parallel scene when they're both using their comm badges at the same time for the same purpose. Okay. Boimler and Kearns. Yeah. I think that's meant to like show that they're the parallels. And uh, Cordy and Mariner have a, have a similar brashness of character. Now, Cordy has it because he's, um, uh, what do you call it? Like Rondon. What's his, what, what were that, what was that species? They were, um, oh, right. Uh, Zaldan. Yeah, Zaldan. Right, like the ones that, the, the guy that uh, Wesley encountered in the corridor in Coming of Home, which is first season of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, or second season? Second? No, it's first season. It's first season because, interestingly, that was another episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that featured uh, Rimmick. Oh, okay. Rimmick was the one who, in Conspiracy, they phasered him to death and he had the alien inside of him. Mm. So the first time we saw Rimmick was in the episode called Coming of Home, which is the first time we meet a Zaldan. This is the second time that we've met a Zaldan. And they're the ones with the uh, webbed fingers. Just like Cordy. So I think <laughs> Kearns, it maps to Boimler and Cordy maps to uh, Mariner on our side. So does the uh, Tellerite map to uh, Rutherford then? I think that makes sense. Okay. And so the Carlsbad crew is going to dismantle the Federation scientists' equipment, and the Cerritos crew is going to gather up the green fantasy orbs and and put them in in you know containment units and take them away. 
in the process, the lower deck sets meet up, and the Carlsbad crew gives gives the the lower decks the the Cerritos crew a lot of guff. Like they really kind of shade them really hard. Yeah, we know who you are. Everyone's heard about the Cerritos. Mariner tries to keep things light, but the Carlsbad crew is insisted on keeping it tense. So everybody's just like, okay, let's just get to work. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Cordy is voiced by uh, Carl Tart. Okay. Who also has played Lieutenant Kayshawn. I wonder if that's going to be... He's like the... He's going to become like the Jimmy Doohan. Oh, from the... Yeah, Viet, yeah, James Doohan doing a lot of voices in the anime series. Yeah. yeah that's fun. I like that. That it's, Who knows? It's, it's like we have uh, Jeffrey Combs for animation. Yeah. We're back up to the ship with Tindy hanging out with Dr. McLemo again. And he admits that it is his first time doing this, probably really being a mentor for anyone. Uh, we can hope that it's his first time being a mentor for anyone. <laughs> and they kind of talk about how it's supposed to go. McLemo basically infuses a whole bunch of random nonsense into the conversation. Mm-hmm. There really are a lot of scientists out there. And then, like, tries to pawn Tindy off to, to Freeman. We, we hear mention that uh, Ambassador Spock has written the forward. Hmm, not bad. And just as they are ending the scene, uh, Megalmo orders another round of millet, and he orders the, uh, what do you call him, a corsant? A corsant? A what? A croissant? <laughs> yeah. Or a croissant? Yeah. A croissant of millet? <laughs> I'll have a millet croissant. <laughs> And, he, and apparently he says cut him off and so I'm guessing that apparently millet can be habit forming for Megalmo's people I mean food can be habit forming sometimes people eat their feelings oh. I think that millet could be like a like a bird nip though oh it would yeah. be amusing like if he was a roadrunner <laughs> and they'd have like a little plate yeah. they put on <laughs> we're back down to the planet and we're gathering up orbs and Rutherford decides to conjure up our old favorite Leah Bromps Yes. Thankfully, she just kind of disappears rather quickly. And discussing the Cerritos crew's reputation for all kinds of shenanigans and hijinks. Mm-hmm. Although they're trying to beat the Carlsbad crew in productivity, their fantasies keep interfering. Yes. Uh, m- most notably, uh, Leah Brahms, of course, is trying to distract Rutherford. And there's an admiral who pops up on some sort of Star Wars land speeder <laughs> with a sidecar trying to lure uh, Luke Scott. I mean... Boimler to go fight the Borg with him. Yes. And I I, def, I get like indoor vibes, like indoor with an E vibes. Oh, Andor, yep. And the Andorian, the Andorian, uh, who I thought was like an Andorian nemesis, like a like a foil for Mariner, but apparently apparently not. Apparently <laughs> Mariner has Mariner a crush likes on her. this girl, yeah. So Jennifer shows up to be to play the role of hot and Dorian girlfriend <laughs> and they're babying each other now I noticed one thing about Jennifer's last name which is Sharan yeah and that's it we're apparently keeping with the Andorian naming convention that I like so bad because I think it helps explain it helps us like understand well it helps help me understand the Andorian genders yeah yeah that thing and like how all that works and it's sort of like it's interesting because it actually also like labels everybody their gender so i don't know we should be okay mm. with that either and speaking of labels mariner is like yeah we don't like labels like girlfriend or whatever and jennifer definitely mentions that she she really does like labels and apparently based on uh what you just said 
by her name that's definitely unlabeled that would be be applicable to her yeah. yeah from my understanding andorians are all labeled well aren't we all labeled by our names M many of us are labeled by our names we also find out that rutherford's apparently things that he doesn't like that would distract him away from the uh his own fantasy are either ion mallets and or shiny blue uniforms and apparently Boimler's fantasy, he still is riding in the sidecar. Driving scary, I'm a natural passenger. We, the Lower Decks set, are magically this episode treated to an Upper Decks conference. We have uh, two captains. There's Tendi and uh, Income Scientist and Rockman obviously arguing. Like, like they want to make it clear to everyone around them that they are arguing. There's a treaty ready for them, so we offer pleasantries back and forth. And the uh, the rocks once again are shading at the scientists. You do not seem alive to us. The rocks, the scrubble, are trying to provide a, another totem, which is not, you know, a ridiculous headdress or a flute. So anyway, they're fighting over this thing as if it's like a special gift, but they both really don't. Neither one of them really wants it. They they just they think it's a stupid ass rock. They don't yeah, want. yeah. I mean, it's just a rock pyramid. So we're back down to the planet. And we've got, you know, Boimler hanging out with his Admiral and Mariner and her Jennifer boasting at the Carlsbad about how well how well we're doing. Uh, and they are not doing as well at their job as the uh, as the uh, Cerritos is doing. We get In fact, the Tellarite is carrying a uh, slab of metal and he trips on a rock and he gets chastised for it and he points out I think I pulled my dominant groin Tellarites have a dominant groin I have no idea what that means that he pulled his groin that that's literally what he says when he falls no I know what he says I'm just saying I don't know what it oh. means it sounds gross well I mean maybe it's similar to Klingons I don't know what that means I don't know what a groin does. anyway let's just move on let's not discuss groins the lieutenant uh, Steve Stevens sort of tries to scold them for not being fast enough and Mariner's complaining about oh, or not being careful enough and Mariner complains, is like, oh, they're, you know, we're trying to do faster, we're out trying to produce them, we could do better, and Steve Stevens goes all crazy because he thinks he's going to get some, I got maybe a kiss from Ransom or something. Because we're best friends and we share a sacred bond. So he decides that he's going <laughs> to move real fast and break things which is, 400 years ago we learned from yeah. Mark Zuckerberg that move real fast and break things is not really the best idea, but apparently he's forgotten this. This has been, this is ancient, ancient <laughs> uh, knowledge that's been forgotten over the past few hundred years. So he stumbles and breaks some of these orbs open and creates this whole fantasy shitstorm, including that those animated scientists uh, flying lizard from back in the day. Kuklakan, an old god from the Mayan or Aztec cultures, he appeared in the episode How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth, which happens to be episode 100 of all of Star Trek. Oh. Huh. Okay. So, okay. We we're referencing episode 100 and also Deep Space Nine number something. I don't know. And we also referenced uh, TNG coming, coming of Age. So there's a Borg snake. There are Cleon clowns with Batleth arms and yeah. a Kashian Dorian that pulls Jennifer. An Andorian into... werewolf. Sure. I... Kashian <laughs> Dorian, Andorian werewolf, whichever one we want it to be. There's also the big monstrous purple raisins from mm -hmm. either California or Boimler's farm, or perhaps both. <laughs> yes. 
the uh, Carlsbad crew joins in with the Lower Deckers, uh, potentially adding their fantasy nightmares into the mix as well. I don't think we ever see any Carlsbad crew nightmares. Somehow I don't think that they were ever read. I, I feel like maybe it had to do with proximity. Maybe because mm. the Lower Decks crew was so close to the orbs. Mm-hmm. Potentially, maybe that's why we only saw their 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 nightmares. Yeah, okay. And shortly after that, Mariner's nightmare Jennifer as an Andorian werewolf grabs regular Jennifer and rips her in two. So both of the both of the lower deck sets retreat into the cavern, where of course in classic Star Trek style our communications are blocked. It's not a real day in Starfleet till comms get blocked. This sort of forces like a, a come to Je- a come to Jesus conversation between the two lower decks crews, and the Carlsbad crew is able to actually admit that they find the Carl's the Cerritos crew to actually be really exciting. Um, they're the reason that they were. You know, taking the stance they were at the beginning was because they're super jealous. We take a moment to go back up to the ship and into the conference. Uh, just to, I guess we get a couple seconds of expository details is why we need to go back up there. We have the two captains continuing to fight over the, continuing yeah. to fight over the possession of the rock, which Tindy scans and says, hey, something's weird here, but really no one's listening to Tindy for some reason. Back to our little campfire talk with the Lower Decks crews, they the Carlsbad crew honors the Cerritos folk by saying that they're basically the enterprise of support ships. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, extol them their adventures. And, you know, then the crew sort of compliment each other, at which, at, during which, at some point, a, a board pukes up a bas- basketball, which becomes the, the clue that starts unraveling our, our little mystery here. Yeah. But they have come to sort of an understanding of, of what's being conjured up by these these psychic orbs. Yeah, it seems like these broken orbs are having uh, issues with mixing things and cross-referencing, maybe getting a little bit of a di- different mix of all their fantasies, kind of blending them together. But it turns out that the stones are recording way more than they would have expected that the stones would be recording. We find that by venturing down uh, a passageway in this cavern and we find a place where like there's there's a bunch of recording technology. The most interesting thing that I got out of this scene was that Rutherford apparently has a flashlight in his eyeball. <laughs> Which I thought was kind of cool. Kind of. I think it's great. I don't know why Data doesn't have one. I don't know why Seven doesn't have one. Yeah, yeah. Like Data has to hold that whole big old square thing. That's <laughs> like he's basically got an iPhone on flashlight setting. Yeah. That they hold and they walk around. <laughs> yeah. I also noticed how the room looks like very similar to, uh, I think it was Spock's brain, where there was a whole bunch of orbs on a wall and a big orby thing gathering. Absolutely. Also, the bridge of the Stargazer or Damon Box ship, or sometimes even like Pulaski Sickbay. <laughs> okay. And also uh, uh, Noonie and Soong's lab. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. So we have found the Genghis 4. Uh, Mar-a-Lago, and there's all kinds of documents laying around everywhere. Everything is labeled classified. <laughs> there's a whole bunch of stamps. So the conclusion is that the old guys and the rock people are working together. I'm not saying it's an mm. allegory for today's political climate. I'm just saying. <laughs> like, they've devised this method of getting all the secrets of the Federation out of the Federation by getting them from people who don't even know they're missing. 
Like, hmm, that's interesting. I don't think I made that connection. That's a brilliant deduction. <laughs> so the everybody everybody teams up and uh, and heads up to the fantasies, and we have a fight scene. And during this fight scene, there's this crazy combat moment that makes me that 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 is what clued me into okay, it's in, uh, Lieutenant Kearns is is Boimler when they try to beam up. Uh, mm. They try to call at the same time. While they're trying to call, we are in the conference, and in the conference are two of the people who, uh, at least Boimler, should be reaching, and those are Kayshawn and uh, Lieutenant Shax, mm-hmm. who are the chief security officers of the Cerritos. Yeah, it, it occurs to me, could Shax just now be the chief tactical officer, and Kayshawn just be the security officer? They didn't say that though. Oh, okay. And why doesn't Kayshawn have a rank? Like they're they've they've both been called the chief security officer. You know, I I wonder if that was an error in the animation to leave off his rank in every scene. Could he be part of the officer exchange program and not really have a Starfleet rank, but just a rank in his? Then why would they have assigned him to the ship by himself? Because they assigned him when Shax died. Yeah, as their new chief chief security officer, yeah. and then when Shax came back, Shax took his job back, but Kayshawn's still there. Well, maybe they're—I uh... don't know. Maybe it's something that yet to be seen that yeah. we'll find out. Yeah. I'm very curious about him not having a rank, though. Okay. We're still arguing over the rock, though. Mm-hmm. Both the scientists and the uh, and the scrubble are demanding that you know someone take the rock, or we're not going through with the treaty. Which is right when Mariner arrives, and Tendi takes that moment to just break the rock open, just to end the whole thing. A little a little Federation biometric lock, apparently, like a like a master lock for your locker, <laughs> like pops out yep. onto the table, and then like Mariner explains the thing, which is basically you know we've been they've been stealing your thoughts. And everybody realizes the plan, so the rocks try to leave, and Shaq stops the rock, um, which presumably, I guess, means that uh, Kayshawn must have stopped the scientists. We have a uh, we have a captain's log, and the captain's log explains that, which is you know another interesting thing for this episode. We have a captain's log, right? So we saw the main deckers conference, and we saw and we get to experience the captain's log. The explanation is that the outpost 76 people and the scrubble were trying to collect and sell intel on the black market. I think I just figured it out, bro. Oh, wh- what did you figure out? Whoever is the administrator of outpost 76. So outpost 76 is a science outpost. Okay. And in order to do science on this planet, you have to go to this outpost and get permission to go out to the planet and do the stuff on the planet because they're administering the planet for the scrubble to the Federation. Mm. So that's who the agreement is between. The agreement is between Outpost 76 and the scrubble. Well, that certainly seems plausible. There's a brief Federation Federation tribunal and a small celebration. And Dr. Miglimo uh, compliments Tendi and puffs himself up like a ransom because he's done such a great job in getting her to be a, a confident <laughs> senior science officer. Yes. The Carlsbad captain apologizes at uh, Captain Freeman. <laughs> And uh, and she she gives him a piece of the rock. He's honored. She explains that she's actually kept the best part for herself, as you do. <laughs> and then the yep. lower decks crew, it, the lower decks set, both lower decks sets are all hanging out, you know, in the lounge. And this is actually the scene where I first saw that Cordy was a Zaldan, uh, because it, oh, okay. it, they make it very obvious. Like it, he keeps putting up his hand, and you keep seeing, you know, that his fingers are webbed, kind of in the same place that we saw. Um, Ron Don's hands webbed in coming of age. Mm-hmm. 
But, uh, you know, there's compliments all around. And the best part is that the rumor apparently around the fleet is that Boimler is a timely <laughs> comedic robot that's always getting into trouble. <laughs> Just like you. Yeah, yeah. Just like me. Please tell me, please tell other people that I'm people. I'm not lying to people. Or you. <laughs> but I'm people. Tell them I'm people. I enjoyed this episode very much. Yeah, there was a lot that happened in a short amount of time in this episode. There was a lot of callback to me. Like, there was a good solid... I mean, once again, we've done a Deep Space Nine plot episode. Last episode, we did Captain Pursuit. And this episode, we're doing If Wishes Were Horses. Oh, okay. And I wonder just what episode of Deep Space Nine we're going to do next on Lower Decks. Yeah, maybe they're just always skipping ahead ten episodes. What's uh, ten episodes from... Uh... If Wishes Were Horses. I'm not really sure which one it is, but it's somewhere in season two. Oh, okay. We'll see what happens next time. I'm giving this episode, wow, I think I might go 9.6, just for the Keish Andorian, <laughs> or, or Keish and Werewolf, whatever, Andorian, whatever you want to call them, for, for that, and also for the uh, Klingon Clowns from Outer Space. <laughs> because I hadn't thought of that movie in a long time. And of course, Star Trek could bring it back to me in the original Klingon. Their arms were batlets. Yes, clowns are evil, and I've never even read it, and I'm st I still don't prefer clowns. So next week, did you give this episode a rating? This I'm sorry, I forgot. Yes, I. It's a, it's a, yeah, I could go with maybe a nine point five. Oh, that's huge! All right, point point point. All right, it's a good rating. I am looking forward to the rest of the season, and I'm. I did see the trailer. I did see Deep Space Nine, but I'm going to keep pretending like I didn't see it. I know we're going there. <laughs> Maybe it was Tarek Noir. And I know we've coded the ode, so it's not like we're going to see new Deep Space Nine. Coded the ode? They've done this this amazing thing with the Star Trek novel series, mm -hmm. because we, we've we done a lot of development post-Nemesis of the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager characters. Okay. And, like, all the storylines and plot lines there. So what at some point during so what they did is they basically resolved the different timeline that we began to see starting with Star Trek Picard mm -hmm. and they've they've melded that into the novels and mm. the way they did that was by correcting the original disruption anomaly by preventing the original disruption event which we call the coda in the ode oh it's okay. in a it's in a novel series called coda i think i remember that novel series i uh generally don't read much of the books but i do notice titles and stuff i look at them and then i say oh do i have 7.99 to spend on that am i actually gonna read it okay so until next time everybody yeah stay positive dream uh -huh. big and right. you'll hear from us again soon nah, nah, nah. continued making of this <laughs> show through patreon.com Let's Talk About Treks is a production of Anodyne Relay supported by the Star Trek fan community of listeners like you. We review the copyrighted works of Paramount CBS's Star Trek team, of whom no copyright infringement is intended. You can reach us via email at email at letstalkabouttreks.com. You can leave us a message at area code 202-804-6312. 
Our producer is David Moody, and our writers, Jack and Earl, are on Twitter as at Trekstalkers, and would greatly appreciate the obligatory like and subscribe from wherever you're listening now. We record on Lenovo computers with Zoom, mix with NCH Mixpad, and master with Kakos Reaper. Our intro, outro, and interstitial musics feature samples from Awakening by Waterboy from Pixabay. Please tell them I'm people. Guys, I'm people!